You know, restaurants are an inbred part of our culture. It's inherent of who we are as South Africans, as people globally. I mean, foodies travel around the world to search for the best food and the best chef. And it's a place to be seen. It's intrinsic of who we are as human beings. And it's our foremost front of the human connection. You know, restaurants, I think, are such a bigger part of our lives than what we anticipated to be. And I think COVID has taught us how much we miss restaurants. Hey there, guys. So today we are joined by Dov Gurnan. He's the founder and CEO of Merchant Capital and Wendy Alberts, the CEO of the Restaurant Association of South Africa. Wendy has also been voted as Africa's most influential woman in business and government uh, just a few months ago. So today we're going to talk about retail uh, specifically and then also double down on restaurants and the current state of affairs in the context of a post-lockdown economy. Today, we are joined by two live call-ins towards the end of the show, Yankee Wolf and Warren Weaven. These are both restaurant owners, and I gave them the opportunity to use the MapRound Show platform to have their say to those that matter. Now, what's really important to understand here, guys, in the context of this episode is that out of all the industries impacted by COVID, retail, uh, restaurateurs specifically in that group, And then travel and leisure would probably be the most impacted industries out of all industries. And even in a post-lockdown economy, many of these industries have simply not recovered. So how are restaurateurs innovating? What are they doing to transform their products and services to remain relevant and to create the cash flow and runway that they need to cover their operational expenditures and ultimately to just survive? Wendy and Dov share some incredible insights and some practical steps that I feel that many of us can benefit from just by listening to them to really understand what it takes to survive in a business environment that is becoming more and more uncertain. So without further ado, into Dov Gurnan and Wendy Alberts. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another live installment of the MapRound Show. Uh, today, we are joined by uh, Dov Gurnan, the uh, co-founder, uh, one of four, I believe, of an awesome uh, company called Merchant Capital, doing some amazing stuff in the retail space. Uh, and then uh, Wendy Alberts uh, from the Restaurant Association of South Africa. Uh, so welcome to the show, guys. Say hello. Hi. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having us. I know, right? Um, welcome to you guys. Uh, yeah, so we are live broadcasting this, guys. Uh, today, we're going to talk about um, the current state of retail uh, in South Africa. Uh, it's not good, but it's not over. Um, and then uh, we're also going to be talking about um, you know, the Restaurant Association of South Africa and the work that they're doing, some stuff about merchant capital. But really, this is an exploration of, of retail in a kind of post-lockdown COVID-19 business environment. So there's a lot for us to kind of cover here. Um, And so I'm going to start with with some basic introductions. So let's start with you, Wendy. Uh, Why don't you just give us a a quick introduction to who you are, what you're about, what are you doing at at RASA, uh, if we can (laughs) use that acronym. Um, And then, uh, yeah, let's hand it over to Dov. Let's just give us uh, some context. Thank you. So uh, ROS is an organization or a body that was formed uh, some 14, 15 years ago, and uh, we really are here to be the voice of the industry. Through COVID, we've really been uh, bringing transparent, credible information on hand, on demand, right through to our restaurants, managing them, holding their hands, and giving them all the necessary support to enable sustainability and to mobilize the restaurant industry. 
We've engaged with government on all high level and we've engaged with landlords, insurance companies, uh, regional municipalities, SAMRO, SAMPRA, uh, the police, uh, staff of police, uh, the minister's departments. Um, and we really have in, in all aspects to bring on hand critical information. I mean, the exponential change over the last 12 weeks has been so dramatic. So we really had to build these beautiful relationships and uh, engage and collaborate with our beautiful restaurants and make sure that we are giving them all the love and support that they can to enable them to keep their doors open and to get the doors open. And we've been shouting really loud and hard and making sure that all the voices uh, that we've got are, are put to the right powers. And we just really want to save the restaurant industry and make sure that we can get beautiful staff back to work and get the beautiful experiences of all the restaurants we have in South Africa, either to your table or you back to our tables. Okay. Thank you. And um, lots to get into there, Dov. Uh, who are you, man? What What are you about? So this is your second time on the show. So those of you, <laughs> those of my audience who've been uh, following the show will remember you live at Rays Corp with uh, Alon Rays. Uh, but just for That's those right. of you who um, who don't know uh, anything about Dov Gernon, why don't you fill us in? Thanks, Matt. Yeah, so it's certainly a, a different feel to the last show we had, which uh, um, almost feels like a century ago, although it was only a couple of months ago. It's amazing how quickly the world around us can change. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of Merchant Capital. Uh, we started Merchant Capital about seven and a half years ago, really with the founding principle of helping small businesses with growth capital and working capital. We've had a strong focus on restaurants and hospitality since inception. Uh, probably about 30 or 40% of our business has been um, restaurants and hospitality, food and beverage. And um, it's, we, we've unfortunately seen the devastation and the decimation of uh, this, this industry as, as part of a lockdown. Uh, Matt, as you alluded to earlier, we certainly don't think it's over. Um, we are, and I'll talk, I'll talk a bit about it later, we are seeing some small green shoots and you know, there's a little bit of activity picking up since the beginning of June, which obviously is, is really pleasing. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been at the forefront and at the coalface of, of trying to fight the good fight for the survival of these uh, restaurant owners and all other small businesses who are our customers. Yeah, uh, I just want to actually um, give some more context um, and share my screen. Um, so I don't know whether you guys have seen the um, small business <clears throat> uh, recovery monitor from Yoko. Mm. Yeah. Um, so um, this is it here on the screen. Basically, um, what the what Yoko is, they're 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 you know they're empowered. I suppose you guys will know better than me. Uh, but they're they're they enable merchants, right? So they allow you to um, basically transact through their terminals. Um, and so what we've got up on the screen here <clears throat> is the small business turnover index. And what was fascinating for me, and what I think Yoko. Um, has done a fantastic job of is that they've used their data across the retail sector to uh, to really inform the rest of us about what's actually going on in terms of South Africa's economy. And in the process of doing that, what they've uh, what they've also done done is build a lot of equity in their brand uh, and their business and the service that they provide to to customers. So. Um, what we can actually see up on the screen here is the current turnover compared to, say, uh, pre-COVID. And so we're kind of on average between 50 and sort of 60% uh, is probably around 60% of, of the kind of volumes we were transacting on 
Um, you can also see here impact of the, the uh, on the province over time. So you know we were we're nowhere near where it needs to be, and so I wanted to kind of use this data, Wendy, uh, to kind of get your views. I mean, if we if we think about it practically, right, uh, we're moving out of the hard lockdown. So level five, then we went to level four. Now we're at level three. Uh, you know, uh, retailers are able to take um, delivery orders. So with Uber, if you're if you listed on Uber as an example, Uber Eats, um, you can actually you know deliver your burgers as an Empire Burger and so on and so forth. So so we are seeing some transactional recovery, but but you know with your finger on the pulse, Wendy, what do you currently or how would you characterize the recovery? Is this a recovery? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Thanks, Matt. So the industry is completely decimated at this time. And, you know, we are dealing with hundreds of restaurants closing every day. So it's not a favorable time for restaurants in South Africa. And uh, we've certainly done everything we can in our power to motivate and convince government to open us up um, quite exponentially. You know, it's now very critical. We we really have got a lot of restaurants that's given us a deadline until the weekend saying that if uh, they don't get relief by this weekend, they're certainly just going to be shutting their doors. Mm. It's too complicated to continue trading. They're struggling to get the UIF. The UIF has taken 12 weeks to pay out. They can't get bank loans. There's no relief from government. Government to shut us down, but there's no um, grants back from the government. The restaurants are saying that the government is really responsible for the, the, the losses that they've made. There's no um, engagement or no conversation that's been having around that. We're struggling with high utility bills, estimates that are three times the bill. We're struggling with Samro, Sampra, TV licenses, liquor licenses, who are demanding all their fees. We're dealing with a third-party delivery guys who have come in and taking 42% in a 20% market of a 100% competitive space. Mm. So if you just compile all these elements uh, within your, your framework, you can understand how decimated the industry is. And the amount of people that are closing constantly is quite tragic. Mm. Um, it's, it's, as I said in the beginning, it, it's not over, right? I know it's, it is, it's kind of, you, I always feel like a bit of a hypocrite in that sense, you know, cause it's a double edged statement, isn't it really? It's like, well, it's not over, but actually it is, <laughs> you know, for, for some of us. And I suppose that's, um, that's especially true for, for retailers and, and my heart and my sympathies do go out to, to entrepreneurs who have been, uh, you know, put uh, or sort of say, taken the brunt of this COVID nineteen story. My brother in law actually has three restaurants down in Cape Town, um, and um, yeah, it's it it it. They had to do things that were 
um, let's just say unusual to keep going. Um, and they and they they didn't they didn't die. They didn't say we're going to take this lying down and go. Woe is me! I'm, uh, it's over for me. Um, and I think if it, you know to your point. Um, Wendy, you know, if, if we latch on to the negative narrative around, it's not that I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying if you use that to that negative narrative and you just hang on that and you don't believe that there is going to be a, a future for you or if you don't believe that it is not over, right? Uh, if you don't have hope that things will improve eventually, then the game is over for you. And I just wanted to kind of get your views, like looking at what everything that you see there and all the problems that you mentioned there, what words of like kind of hope or, or positivity would you like to share with uh, retailers and restaurant owners around the country? You know, Matt, you're absolutely right. I mean, restaurants have had to completely transform their business models and become um, experts at things that they're not really. I mean, the takeaway and delivery market is such a small component of our businesses. And restaurants have had to adapt their model to be able to incorporate that in order to bring turnover in. I think that there's been so many beautiful lessons through COVID and how we learn about our businesses. So restaurants also had to become much closer to their finances, to their models, to their infrastructure, to their staff. And with this new relationships being built, we've also had a huge sense of collaboration in the industry. And you're right, hope is a beautiful thing and hope is something that we do certainly as leaders in the, this country and leaders in the industry have to pass on to the restaurants. But there's also the sense of reality that we need to give them hopeful resolutions in a space where there is real solutions. Mm. You know, the challenges that we're facing, and we've got beautiful stories as well, where we've got landlords who are amenable, we've got beautiful communities who support the restaurants, we've got lovely restaurants who have transformed their business models, and they've got gourmet groceries, and they've got beautiful delis, and they've got add-on services. But there are a small minority amongst the majority who have not received relief and mm. have not been able to accumulate what they've done and you know the restauranteurs are beautiful people by nature they're colorful as you know they're creative and they're always opportunistic and they're open to a new challenge and they get back to business quickly and they're relatively resilient but there's there's only so much debt you can accumulate before mm. you need to be in a space of reality to say what are we going to do with the debt the key message i keep saying to all restauranteurs is you know what you've got a beautiful business you have beautiful staff you serve beautiful food you've got beautiful customers and what we all really do have in the industry is a lot of debt. We're going to be paying back a lot of debt for a very long time. Mm. But if you don't have your business, you don't have the beauty and the magic to pass on to the experience of anybody else. And it is a matter of time that COVID will be over. And it is a matter of time that beautiful people will return back to your business. And you'll be able to do the things that you love doing, which is connecting with people, doing the celebrations, bringing the birthdays and bringing the, the daily boardroom to your table, bringing the anniversaries. And that is really what restaurants are about, is about the celebration and the engagement in the social environment. And we just got to keep holding on that that moment will return to us. And the rest of the world, I think, showed that they've opened up, that they've done a beautiful job of reopening and getting people back into their businesses. The consumer is certainly excited to get restaurants back into mm. um, their, their, their fielding space and I think shopping centers, retail. So, you know, we, we very, we're a very loved industry but not loved enough yet to put a lot more money investment in. So um, obviously, uh, I was reading this uh, up on the screen, and you can see uh, that um, there's about 8 million people that are back to work. And, um, you know, one of the interesting uh, videos that I came across recently uh, was uh, this one from The Economist. I'm not going to look for it now, but, um, but I'll paraphrase for you because I, I think it's really relevant. So what they basically described was... was um, 
what does retail look like in a economy that was shut down and then now is being opened up again? So the example that they shared, and, and I'd like to uh, maybe bring Dov in here from a solutions perspective, right, in this context that I'm going to paint for you guys quickly. And so what they described was, let's just say that, let's talk, take my brother-in-law. He's got three restaurants, okay? So in a lot, and this happened in, um, in, in the UK and uh, all over the world, but basically the central banks printed a, a, a hell of a lot of cash. And what they did was they bailed out the retailers and they and they bailed out a lot of small businesses and companies and South Africa did that as well. I don't know the full extent of that, so please feel free to comment and, and add add to to the context there. But in essence, what they did was they 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 floated the runway for businesses, right? And they said, okay, um, you can't trade in lockdown, so we're going to float your runway. So, like, I got a message, in fact, today from First National Bank. Um, yeah, the COVID-19 loan scheme is designed to help businesses pay their operating expenses for the next three months. My business may qualify for this loan. To apply, contact your banker. So I actually got a phone call from them today as well, weirdly enough, um, but um, about the same thing. So so my point is the, the, the central banks gave other banks the, the, the cash to loan to businesses, right? So there's a three-month, um, you know, grace period, so you don't have to actually pay uh, that back for 12 weeks. Um, and so that's all well and good in a lockdown environment. Now the economy opens up again, right? So one, you've got this loan that you need to repay potentially. Um, but more importantly, when the economy opens up again, it doesn't return back to its full uh, you know, pre-COVID lockdown situation. Like even the Chinese economy is only at 90% of what it's pre-lockdown uh, COVID-19 sort of transactional volume and GDP um, uh, sort of, you know, volumes were. Um, so even China hasn't got it right. So now the thing is, as you as pointed out, Wendy, it's like when the economy starts to open up again, you don't get like, you know, you said deliveries are a small parts of the business. Usually what you're waiting for is people to come in and patrons to come in and sit and drink wine and be merry and all that stuff is now gone. So eventually what happens is your your revenues don't tick over at 300% of what they are. They're actually only at 30%. So what that then means is if you've got three stores, as is the case of my brother-in-law, let's pick McDonald's or whatever, whatever kind of retailer you're, you're, you're thinking about, you might need to close down that first uh, store one of three because you don't have the transactional volumes to to maintain that kind of operational expenditure. So it's highly probable that things are going to get worse before they get better. Um, and so, Dov, I'd like to bring you in here. What solutions are in place? So recognizing that there's all these problems and it isn't good, right? But it's not over. For those of the restaurant owners that have hope and they're looking to take some practical steps what solutions do you uh, do you feel are appropriate for them to to act on? So, as an example, the F and B COVID nineteen loan is an example. Should I do that? Should I not do that? If I'm a retailer, um, what is your objective views around some practical things around solutions, things to consider, uh, and things like that? So, so Matt, I'm I'm really pleased that the conversation has gone this route because I am personally a, a big believer in optimism. And, you know, I've, I've actually written a couple of articles on LinkedIn recently, which have got, um, you know, really good feedback from lots of people where and, and basically the article or the thoughts just say in life, we have two. You basically got two options. You can either view the glass half empty or view the glass half full. 
And without being disillusioned, and I'm not sitting here and saying that it's it's all um, you know windows facing the sea. There, it is difficult. It is devastating. It is the, the pandemic has crippled most businesses. But entrepreneurs in South Africa are resilient, and that's the one thing that we have in spades. We have resilience. We have persistence. We have creativity. We have imagination. And to Wendy's point earlier, that's exactly what restaurant owners need to have in order to differentiate in a relatively commoditized world of, of serving food. So I, I have great hope and optimism that there are business owners there, not just restaurant owners, across the board, across the SME board, that will find opportunity in this chaos. In, in the article that I wrote, I actually alluded to the fact that during the 2008-2009 global financial crisis, which was a complete financial market um, collapse. There were businesses that were built out of the GFC that have become the biggest businesses in the world. So if you take examples such as Instagram, Uber, and WhatsApp, which are you know products that, and services that we use every day, those businesses were built by entrepreneurs who were kind of standing in the in the decimation or the, the, the end of the world, if you want to call it, um, in the global financial crisis, and had to almost recreate or rethink about product and services that would serve a, a new world. And those will, those will be the same entrepreneurs who are um, audacious, who are innovative, who are resilient and persistent, and all those characteristics that you need as an entrepreneur, who I believe will find opportunity in the chaos and create products, whether it's in food or hair and beauty or hardware or, or whatever it is that will actually be um, hugely successful and, and serve a new customer need in a post-COVID world. So, so I think the, the, the kind of solutions or their advice are, are quite difficult to give because it's a relatively specific to your industry or your business that you're in. But really, the, the first and foremost thing which, which business owners would have had to have done previously or already is cash conservation. Like, look at your cash, look at your liquidity, look at your solvency, make sure that you've got enough runway to survive for three months of a lockdown, right? Now, now Matt, if that means going to your, to your bank for a relief um, loan, then that's what you need to do. And if you think about it, that, that relief loan, um, and it's still very early days to comment as to whether or not it's going to be successful. And Wendy, I know a lot of your restaurant owners and our restaurant clients have been frustrated and disappointed because they're saying it's pretty much the same as the, the bank credit as pre-COVID. The point is, is that they need to give it some time and they need to be patient. And if you think about it, the terms of those bank relief loans are pretty soft. I mean, Matt, as you alluded to, you get a three-month payment holiday. You're then paying an interest rate at prime over six years, I think it is. So it's a, it's a, from an affordability point of view, on the assumption that you've got a business to save, it's a, it's a good gearing option to go for. Um, and, and we hope that the, the execution of that will be good by the banks, and I'm sure that, the, that it will be. So I think if, if that's what a business owner needs to do in order to survive and make sure that they can retain staff, retain their property when by paying their landlord, retain supplier relationships for three or four or five months, then that's what they need to do. Mm. Um, beyond that, I guess, is, is, is anybody's guess, right? Because we don't know how many of those businesses uh, will come out and survive uh, beyond the three months or the six months. But that, that is where the kind of the audacious entrepreneurs will, the, the cream will rise to the top 
And the guys who, who can find opportunity in the chaos will find a way of pivoting their business and surviving. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so it's all very well and good talking about runway and finance and getting the cash to kind of float your, your runway. And as you said, Dov, you know, making sure you have the cash to cover your OPEX. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to pick up on something Wendy said. So Wendy, if I can bring you back into the conversation for a moment, um, is that you mentioned that you've got some stories around restaurant owners uh, who who innovated, who transformed their business as a result of COVID. Um, and if if you could share maybe one uh, really good story that you feel our audience needs to hear about how uh, restaurant owners are practically managing, uh, you know, the risk of COVID as it relates to runway, cash flow, and all that kind of stuff, uh, just to kind of, you know, share with us practically on the ground uh, with your finger on the pulse, some of the the stories that uh, that restaurant owners um, that relates to restaurant owners that we really need to hear about. Starting yes, Matt. Thank you. Uh, you know, you're right. You know, cash is king at the end of the day, and our restaurants, uh, some of them quickly went forefront. They lodged themselves deeply into their communities, and they entrenched themselves in uh, people's homes and their families, and they quickly ascertained what the needs were, and they built up good relationships. So a lot of our restaurants here, as you know survive on a lot of regulars. They've got a huge database of regular clients and some very smart restaurateurs certainly have tapped into their regular base. And I think people are very sensitive and very understanding and very compassionate about what's happening in the restaurant industry and very willing to support. Um, and these beautiful restaurants took their large space, some restaurants are four, 500 square meters, and they started doing components or add-ons. So they either brought in a, a word which is very clear called gourmet groceries or they brought on a deli type food, and I think the gourmet groceries really lends itself to it. They've also brought in people and mums and pops from the community to bake beautiful rusks and breads and biscuits and bring in your fresh yogurts and bring in your preserves and your patisseries and to bring in all the different elements that you can get exclusively that you can't get within as far as pick and pay. And with your basket collection, they then increase the potential basket spend not only to be able to deliver your takeaway that's already cooked, They've been able to deliver four more meals for the family of a lasagna or a Mexican or a roast beef or a, uh, a different meal for the week. And they've also put out uh, gourmet ice creams and beautiful homemade products. And so we've certainly seen a lot of retro come through and a lot of retro packaging and beautiful um, components that you can come in and you can buy fresh breads and olive breads. And, and it's just all an array of benefits that people are now buying from these beautiful restaurants as opposed to buying it from the supermarkets. And um, it's very, very clever, nice packaging, uh, bespoke packaging, lovely console glassware, et cetera, fresh orange juice, milks, your yogurts, your cheeses, your croissants, and, and all the rest. Um, so we've looked at doing partnerships as well with uh, certain of our bigger players in the industry, where they're going to supply also bespoke product that you can't get within a retail space into our restaurants for added value back as a basket spend. Coupled with that, we've seen how they've also transformed the delivery space so they've moved away from that third-party delivery and they've uh, got themselves beautiful tuk-tuks with music on and the, it's now an experience getting the delivery. They're also bringing the celebration back to your, your space and bringing the cake and the, the birthday accessories. And they're also doing the um, celebrations to five or four or six homes for people that want to be part of it. So there's a lot of innovation that's come through, a lot of initiative. And the, the, the curious part for me is what is going to happen to that innovation when we move back to to sit down, you know, what is the, the timeline and what is the longevity and the sustainability on these concepts and the transformation. And, you know, people are lucky because they've had uh, bigger pockets to 
be able to do this with their businesses as opposed to other people who haven't been able to do it. Mm. You know, the liquor sales has come into effect a week ago. And if our restaurants are doing 1% extra on, on liquor sales, it's huge. You know, so you can see the the time frame or the restrictions on the liquor haven't allowed for us to take advantage of it because people can't get the experience delivered to their door with a beautiful meal and a bottle of wine. So we, again, have um, subjected to ourselves to not being able to benefit completely from the space. Um, there are <clears throat> always, excuse me, there are winners and losers in all of this stuff. Somebody's winning. Uh, one of those uh, potential winners, I would argue, given uh, you know the current state of play, is uh, Take a Lot uh, or e-commerce companies. So those companies with the, the fulfillment infrastructure in place in order to take advantage of a consumer that's essentially, um, I would say, constrained in terms of their usual spending habits, uh, there was a, um, a a tweet. I'll I'll have a look for it, uh, but I can tell you what um, what what's happened in the UK around e-commerce. So e-commerce transactions in the UK have increased by eighty percent uh, in the last eight weeks. So it brings about this idea of forced adoption. So whereas before it was a convenience thing, in other words, it was like it was an afterthought. I prefer to go in-store, touch the products and all this kind of stuff. Um, and now in the UK, it's kind of like, well, I can't do that. I'm actually forced to, uh, you know, to do an e-commerce um, uh, story there. Now, of course, we can't compare South Africa e-commerce to the UK uh, e-commerce landscape. But the principle stands true that uh, now in this uh, sort of COVID uh, environment, and especially in the retail sector, it stands to warrant that some companies are benefiting from this. And I wanted to get uh, your views, Wendy. Um, to what extent has e-commerce actually blossomed because of this? Uh, and then what now does the future look like of retail um, in a kind of like a, you know, risk adjusted and uh, sort of process, you know, so as we go to three to two to one, maybe we go back up to a three and who knows until we have a vaccine, you know, that uh, that situation might change. But um, but certainly what does the future look like and who's won here? You know, it's such an interesting topic and I think we could get ourselves quite extensively involved in this discussion. Um, you know, absolutely, you know, one, there was a directive given to force restaurants to use third-party deliveries. The industry had merely two competitors in the industry which forced their hand at a, at a certain price, which came in at around about 42%. Um, and there was no directive given to capping those fees. So what we quickly saw was a mobilization of that space, and we saw a lot of new players coming in, some offering between 10 and 12%. We saw the evolution of uh, home deliveries expanding because of some of the baskets on there's um, motorbikes are too small for the component that needs to be delivered on. And now that there is takeaway allowed, we've seen a drop. So we've always had, deliveries have always been a small part of restaurants. So you're probably looking at around about 7 to 12%, uh, Friday nights, Saturday nights, peak times, lunchtime at the office, etc. And the third-party delivery guys always brought in an extra component to the restaurants. So it wasn't that the restaurants were only reliant on the third-party deliveries. So what happened was when we went back into trading space, we were reliant on the third parties and they were taking the biggest chunk of our, our revenue, which mm -hmm. left restaurants feeling disgruntled because they were trying to pay bills on an 18% and pay salaries, 40% cost of sales and 42% of the third party. So we saw this whole space transforming quite quickly. Now what we've seen in the last week 
is that the collections are much higher and the drive-throughs are much higher and the deliveries have actually diminished. It's very expensive to have a delivery to your space. So like the rest of the world, I mean, those fees have been capped and they've been regulated. In South Africa, it's not regulated. So somebody would rather go and collect their own food and restaurants certainly would encourage uh, the collection because there's some engagement in terms of the experience with that meal. Mm. So we're seeing a lot of innovation of people also doing sort of uh, um, the restaurants and the car parks, you know, they are uh, uh, roadhouses. So we've seen a lot of that innovation coming through. And, and we've seen that people, particularly in South Africa, prefer to collect their own food. You know, is it that there's an irresponsibility that goes, and, we, and I said we can have long discussions with the third-party delivery guys, because I think that there's a whole different component and education and health and hygiene standards and, you know, the motorbikes should be more lit up and they should be more visible and they should be properly um, labelled and recognised and they should be properly identified, etc. And I think it's a whole different part of evolution that I think will extend itself and players will come on board. Um, mm. But what we see is that people prefer to fetch their own food. And I think in the next phase of opening, people are going to prefer to come and sit in a restaurant and actually enjoy a meal. Yeah, um, I love what you're saying. I just want to share my screen. I found that um, that stat. So you can see up on the screen here, The basically, <laughs> it looks like the Bitcoin price. <laughs> In like January, when was that? January 2015. Jeez, it can't be that long ago. Surely not. Anyway, whenever Bitcoin was at its highest price, 2017. Um, January 2017. So you can see it's running, the UK adoption, right? It's uh, it's frightening how much um, adoption has happened there. And then I also found um, this stat here, which shows the share of population that shopped online during the last 12 months. And you can see um, how much e-commerce, especially in the UK, Norway, Iceland and Switzerland has jumped. It's like 80% of the population. Like that's eight in every 10 people, which is frightening, right? Um, I wanted to kind of um, maybe bring Dov back in here. Um, and, and Wendy, feel free to, to jump in as well. Uh, but I want to kind of cover the uh, consumer behavior piece around retail now because Wendy, you basically hit the nail on the head, right? Is to say, you know, only a certain uh, deliveries is only like seven to 10% of your actual revenue. So, you know, if we can't, fix the other 90%, what can retailers do to drive consumer behavior in a way that is conducive to them actually making the revenue that they need to make? Does that make sense? Uh, so as an example, let's just say the retailer gets this uh, COVID-19 loan to cover quote-unquote OPEX. So they've got a bit of cash. Let's just say they've got 100,000 rand to spend. Um, what can they do if anything, to drive the consumer behavior that they need to create. So in other words, I want you to, to transact not once a week on a Friday night, right, to buy a, a, a meal from me. I want you to transact three times a week. So at least you can get to 30%, which is three times more than what you were doing before in terms of your deliveries. So I'm using that as a loose example, but purely to illustrate the thinking that I'm trying to get from you guys. Um, is there anything that they can do or restaurant owners can do or retailers can do to drive consumer behavior, whether that's online as is, um, you know, the case that we've got up on the screen here. Um, but um, what can guys do practically around uh, driving consumer behavior, if anything? So, so Matt, I, I, the first thing I want to comment on is, is your earlier question around, um, you know, there's winners and losers. And, um, you know, I think that the kind of businesses that were extremely well poised for a COVID world, and, you know, there was certainly no science in that because none of us saw this coming, um, was, besides maybe Bill Gates, 
was um, was uh, you know the the businesses that had online e-commerce businesses set up and ready to go. So if you take um, businesses such as the online delivery uh, grocery delivery businesses such as Zulzi, uh, OneCart, I know there's a few of them now. Uh, you know, my wife Kelly has been probably a, one of the largest users of Zulzi because we we both work and you know hectic lives. She's a lawyer. And in order to get the, the Woolies and pick and pay and discam stuff delivered, you go onto the Zulzi app and, you know, within an hour, I think they, they deliver it to you um, kind of thing. So that business, and it's been in the press recently, um, they, and, and I've actually met the owner of that business, a, a fantastic young um, African entrepreneur. And he, he has gone and his name is Donald. He's gone and built um, an incredible business and the systems have actually managed the load. So anecdotally, my, my mother, who is um, a relatively, she's young uh, for her age and full of energy, um, she has now adopted, you know, online grocery shopping through Zulzi. So it took one kind of uh, little one-on-one lesson where we, where we showed her how it worked. And now, you know, there's no problem with her to do it. So I'm not sure post-COVID if she may spend 50% of her time going to Woolworths herself and the other 50%, you know, getting it delivered for the convenience to her door. So I do think that um, the rate of change, the rate of adoption and the rate of change um, has been escalated or has been fast-tracked by this COVID world where we kind of were locked in our houses and had no choice. Um, and those businesses that are were well-poised, um, such as Zulzi and OneCart and Bottles, et cetera, should be the winners because, you know, they, they have served their customers well and have helped. Um, Business owners now need to try and find a way. And, and it's a, a kind of advice that we give as merchant capital to a lot of our clients. So we're saying to a lot of our business owners, if you were ever on the fence about launching an e-commerce offering or an online store or selling products online, this is the catalyst. Mm-hmm. It's time to spend your money and jump off the fence and, and build that e-commerce because this adoption and this kind of um, – this, the user base is going to only increase. And I think as people such as my mother have got more comfortable about buying certain things online, um, you know, like her groceries and her, her willies and pick and pay, I think that the businesses that neglect to have an e-commerce, if they can, an e-commerce or an online offering, um, certainly won't be the winners in a, in a post-COVID world. Hi there, guys. So a quick one just to say we have launched a studio line. You can now interact live with our guests either online and or using your mobile phone. The number for the studio line is plus two seven seven nine nine double four eight six three four. The number again is zero seven nine nine double four eight six three four. Add that to your phone, guys, now and we'll be happy to take your questions live on the Map Round Show. Okay, um, I just want to share again uh, my screen here. I love doing this stuff. Uh, but um, it's a recent, uh, literally when I say recent, four hours ago, it's a title of an article that's come out on Fin24, um, basically titled uh, South African Business Confidence Drops to the Lowest in 45 Years, which is essentially the lowest level ever recorded on the RMB Business Confidence Index, which started in 1975. So I know comparison is the thief of joy uh, in many respects, but um, you know if you're going to compare where we are now versus like the last 50 years of retail, it is really not good. Um, and so 
I wanted to maybe get uh, Wendy's views here because you're probably, you know, you're talking to restaurant owners all the time, as are you, Dov, but uh, I just want to get Wendy to comment, basically. <laughs> uh, but, um, but certainly, you know, what, what do we do about business confidence? Because what you're saying, Dov, I've, I've heard it um, around like, you know, now is the time to go online, you know, start selling your stuff online, etc. Um, there was a, a I, I, I didn't uh, read the full context, but uh, Nick Harrell-Lambis, um, who wrote a, a great book called uh, Rinse, sorry, fa- uh, Re- Fail, Do, Repeat, or something like that, so I'm misquoting it now. But anyway, he, he's, he really does understand the small business space very, very well. And he also said that a lot of people are saying, go online, start selling your stuff online, go online, go online, go online. Um, and we've been saying that for two decades, right, since the internet arrived. And nonetheless, we, we didn't really have, I suppose to your point, Dov, we didn't really have the catalyst. So now is the time to do that. But should we be more cautious around, uh, you know, doing that? Because I know that it makes sense strategically, right? If you can't get people in store, you sell online. But that goes along with a whole bunch of other considerations and concerns that basically restaurant owners don't have the skill set they might not have the, the fulfillment infrastructure. Um, Parcel Ninja is a fantastic fulfillment partner in retail if you don't have one, guys. Um, but um, I, I want to kind of maybe bring Wendy in here around that. You know, Do you see that being the go-to solution here? I can't get customers in store. I should go online. And to what extent is that proving successful? Because as I said in the beginning, we cannot compare South African e-commerce as a market to the U.K., Right, we just can't do it um, for many reasons. Um, but uh, and and if e-commerce was the thing, right, that we can all do equally and all the same, um, you know, then we would have done it a long time ago. So I wanted to kind of get your views, Wendy. Do you feel that people are going online, restaurant owners are going online to solve these problems, and to what extent is it actually practically solving the problem? So Matt, you know, we also have to consider the landscape of South Africa and. Uh the level income that we've got in South Africa. So, you know, we sit with sort of 59 million people and we also need to take every LSM group into consideration. So we talk about this whole online system, but it really is for the privileged. You know, so we also need to cater for the the other part of our economy and we also need to be able to look at what is holistically the right way of moving forward. Um, you know, we, we've got commuters, we've got, uh, and, and also the availability of data. There's so many factors that we go into number, no means a, a technology experts in any means. And, you know, restauranteurs are also about experience. We are a sensory experience. We're about touch, see, feel, taste, hear. Mm. You know, we're not about this put in a box and deliver it to your house and there's no experience and there's no connection in it. And if I look at the way that France has quickly mobilized themselves, they've gone back to what is almost normal. So I think that there will be a small percentage of people that will certainly become very innovative and become top-end and run these dark kitchens and, you know, do everything online. And, and then there's a, there's a space in the market for it and pizza delivery and burgers where you don't need to see people making it or, or, or putting it together or deconstruction or delivery of home meals. And there will be a small percentage of that. But restaurants are not about delivering the experience to your home. And the virtual experience of that maybe in 20 years from now might be quite evident. And, you know, you can have a virtual waiter arriving and you can deliver the food and you can bring that entire experience home but people want to go to restaurants they want to go to restaurants to to enjoy the atmosphere that is there 
And by putting that all online or bringing that into e-commerce space dilutes that that part. Mm. So it will be very interesting to see where we go in the next couple of years with this. And also, you know, after COVID, you know, we haven't got through the peak. Um, and we haven't even seen the destruction that COVID could bring to our industry. And we are really this critical. So we're really in a very, very difficult space. Mm. So where are we going to go once we've gone through the wave? What is going to be left then? And what will that transformation bring? Well, restaurants, in my view, I think restaurants are going to become smaller and they're going to become more personal and we'll have less seats and there'll be less staff and the staff will be multi-skilled. And I think the operator will be more involved and it will be more experiential and with a much higher level of authenticity as opposed to much more larger spaces, I think. But I don't know. You know, we haven't gone through the wave and, and the psychology of the consumer hasn't changed yet. Mm. People are still comfortable coming to restaurants. They're still happy to support restaurants. The consumer study we've done, they're saying, open the restaurants. We want to support them. Open the restaurants. We will eat out. If we can go into a shopping center and spray our hands and put a mask on and keep our social distancing, we want to do the same thing in a restaurant. So we definitely are not debilitated by the consumer. And I think it's still early days for South Africa to say, where do we really move forward in the technical space? Yeah, I just want to echo what you said, because I do think some businesses lend themselves more easily to going online, um, you know, uh, and depending on what you're selling, like if you're trying to move liquor to get online uh, is very different to say someone who's trying to move shoes, um, you know, the way that the store needs to be structured, the returns policy. What do you do with customer data? How do you how are you compliant with uh, you know with something like the CPA or Poppy or GDPR if you're going to use programmatic digital media to drive traffic to now your online store? There is considerations at a business model level around OPEX. What how much should, you weren't spending much on um, on marketing because you had the footfall in a particular store. Um, or sorry, uh, not a store, uh, yeah, in the store, but also more broadly in its immediate environment. So either it was a, a through fair, Fourth Avenue and Parkhurst, um, or maybe it was Mainland Shopping Center or whatever the case is, and now you don't have the footfall. So there's lots of things to consider strategically before you push go. I don't think it's a case of, you know, let's just go online because that can also kill your business. Um, so to your point, um, I'd, I'd really like, is there any, is there, and maybe Dove, um, maybe closer to this question, but have you seen any data to suggest, like Wendy said, you know, re, you know, restaurants will become smaller, maybe more niche, et cetera. Have you seen any global data, any best practices that you've seen globally around the world that uh, you feel could really benefit restaurant owners today? You know, so <clears throat> I, I haven't, um, and, and I think it's still too early in, in the cycle to see that. I mean, I, I've seen some devastatingly shocking images, and I don't know if it was fake news or what, but, you know, kind of people sitting in sit-down restaurants in these sneeze glass kind of cubicles. Um, I mean, I would rather not go to the restaurant, obviously. Uh, you know, I saw some images of some guys sitting with those kind of pool noodles attached to their heads mm -hmm. so they make sure there was social distancing like a fly swatter kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, as I say, I think that totally um, kind of counteracts the, you know, what you want out of a restaurant. I mean, I've said it before, you know, my wife and I absolutely love our, our weekly date nights where we go to our favorite restaurant and have, you know, a great meal and, and some wine and whiskey. And we can't wait for that to return, you know, and I know a lot of other people are the same. So I, I unequivocally hope that 
restaurants don't change their business model of being festive and social and engaging and you know doing what we do yes you may have fewer tables in the restaurant but you know to kind of sit in a perspex box um would be would be terrible and, and i do think that um you know the, the point about going online matt is really to say you know just to caveat what i was saying is that only if it's possible to go online and you were previously sitting on the fence about going online now a restaurant can't really go online because you know what 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 do you do you know similar to a hairdresser you know you can't cut hair online maybe you can sell some you know hair products but those kind of businesses sell on owners you can't do that kind of thing online so you know my reference was really more broader to business owners that do have the ability to go online or a portion of their business online mm. and and to Wendy you know to to Wendy's point earlier my view is that these businesses these restaurant owners that have pivoted to gourmet groceries and at home delivery and artisanal bread and coffee and stuff like that i i'm assuming and hoping that that is a short to medium term solution you know hopefully that you know as you say that they will find a vaccine or there will be an antibody or there will be something that eventually you know gives people the comfort that they can go out and be a bit more social at a restaurant so this is just a way to kind of keep the lights on you know for the next call it 6 to 12 months i don't know what that timeline looks like when hopefully um you know there is a there is an event that kind of brings things back to a level of normalcy and we can all go back to sitting in a restaurant I know, right? I'll be there with you first. Mm. <laughs> I'll be your date, Dov. No, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got a comment here from um, the man, the legend. He's always commenting on uh, on our streams. Uh, bearded friend on YouTube. Uh, he says, "Don't you think that all restaurants will have to change the way they do business? Uh, do you think that once they're open for normal?" that people will be comfortable going there and in numbers. Um and then he went on to say I'm sure there will be social distancing rules when they open. So perhaps allowable number of patrons will not be viable to operate a restaurant at all. Um so what are your views uh, on that Wendy? You know restaurants are an inbred part of our culture. It's inherent of who we are as South Africans as people. globally i mean foodies travel around the world to search for the best food and the best chef and it's a place to be seen it's intrinsic of who we are as human beings and it's our foremost front of the human connection you know restaurants i think are such a bigger part of our lives and what we anticipated to be and i think covid has taught us how much we miss restaurants and you know you can try and recreate and we've seen the evolution over the last 12 weeks of how all these brilliant people have transformed themselves into chefs but they're done cooking now they want to return to the restaurant they want to come to a comfortable space it's a place to be seen it is where you go it is where you you find the elevation of cultural difference you find the integration you find a social space you exposed to new there's dynamic it's part of the, a livelihood it's vibrant and it's you don't want to go back to isolation mm. you know and i think that there will be a percentage of people like always that don't frequent restaurants or never frequent restaurants and there'll be those people that love eating out that are foodies and that are social by nature and they do believe that restaurants are inherent of their culture and i said you know we've seen how the rest of the world has quickly referred back to what it was you know we we've, we've been dealing in this space for 12 weeks as what is the new norm what is this the transformation and yet the 12 weeks has passed in many countries and they've returned back to what has been and you know people are also authentic they also want to go back to what they know they want to go back to what is familiar mm. and i think part of what we said earlier dub is 
exactly people have transformed their businesses and it is very much a short to medium term solution because there's nothing else available and there are people okay. that still want to get out and experience and have an experiential way so they've gone to these gourmet grocery stores and these these delis as part of the experience of being able to get out and 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 try new things because it's inherent of our culture mm. yeah i just to just to double down on on what you've said and i think the big question mark that i have for for all businesses and in the context of covid and this is especially true in retail to the bearded fence comments around you know will anything go back to normal and i i don't think there's any clear and obvious uh answers around what the social and cultural impact will be um based on this so as an example let's say there is a you know we're, we're now at a level one um would people still feel comfortable you know, in an environment where there is some risk, uh, you know, present to them. Um, I will say, though, that from what I've seen, people don't care. I think, like, as in, like, they don't really, they've given the middle finger up to COVID. Like, they're just, I'm going to live my life, and whatever happens, happens. And unless I've got a 90-year-old mom living at home with me, I don't give a S-H-I-T. I'm going to carry on with my life. And until, like, I mean, they arrested more people walking their dogs during COVID-19 than they did uh, with state capture. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And people are hutful, to use a South African term. Mm -hmm. We're over it. We are over it. And if you think about, um, you know, the the Black Lives Matter protest, and we're not going to get political here, but I'm just using this to substantiate the view. If you think about Black Lives Matter, those people all around the world, they were in social distancing when they basically, you know, took to the streets. You know, I, I think I think people are are less concerned now with COVID and the threats of COVID than they are. Um, you know, about their survival. There was um, a, a lady who ran a, a hair salon in uh, Texas. Uh, of, I'll try and find the, the article for you guys and bring it up, but I can tell you the story very simply. But basically, they said, you have to shut down. That, that was the Texas government. They were like, listen, yeah, you guys need to, to shut down. And she was like, I'm shutting down. So they came to her shop and they arrested her and they put her in jail. And two days later, she went to uh, the court um, and the judge said to her, look, our, our, like, the new law here right, is that you must close down. You are not allowed to take customers. Uh, and if you pay a $500 fine, you will, you, I'll release you from jail. And she said, no. She said, I'm not paying a fine. Why must I pay uh, and, make an, and kind of pay the price to, to put food on the table for my family? Um, and so, and then, of course, you know, that became political and you had like politicians going in there getting their haircuts and all sorts of things. But it, but it illustrates the mindset of the retailer, the small business owner who isn't going to take this lying down. And despite what the government policy um, is, is saying about what you should do and how you should behave um, and because it is for the greater good, et cetera. I mean, even if you think about liquor sales, like a friend of mine runs a, a distribu liquor distribution company. I actually try to get him on here on a call, uh, but he can't make it uh, at the moment. But, um, but anyway, if you think about the fact that like liquor sales, it's like you can only buy like, in, in, like a, um, if you think about a, like a, a case of beer, you can only buy three six packs, not four. So it's a weird government thing. And also cigarettes to, to, is another weird one. Why can you buy alcohol but you can't buy, buy liquor? Um, and so this is causing a lot of frustration, 
right, for all business owners because we all just want to survive. And we've got a, a slow-moving government that's not selling uh, stuff directly unless they're being corrupt around the cigarette stuff and who knows what's going on there. But, but primarily these people in decision-making authority, they're not the ones who are ultimately ac- accountable to their staff and the, and the welfare of the businesses. But they're implementing policies, policies that potentially are restrictive, prohibitive, and actually are not conducive to the success of retail and ultimately the growth of the South African economy Economy. So if you think about that, uh, that business confidence article that we shared um, uh, a few minutes ago around business confidence being uh, as low as it is, the lowest it's ever been really since, since we've been tracking this stuff, um, what policies, government policies, are not being implemented that if they were implemented could make the world of difference to retailers around South Africa? Wendy, I'll, let, let me have a go at that. Um, and obviously, I I'm, I'm certainly don't want to get into a political debate because um, I, I don't have a strong enough view and, and it's never, it'll never be right in any event. Um, on, on the finance side, or on the credit side, Matt, the, the one thing that I will say is, and, and Wendy, you can probably attest to this in the conversations that you're having with your restaurant owners, the, the challenge with the um, bank relief product is the fact that a lot of these businesses are quite skeptical to actually take out the loan because they don't know if they're going to have a business in the next three months. So it's like, why must I add more debt? You know, I've got to sign personal surety. Um, it's kind of like throwing bad money after good, um, good money after bad, I should say. And, and I think that's a problem. So in, and, and, and I guess it's, it's difficult to benchmark ourselves against the US and the UK and places like Australia, but a lot of the loans that were provided to the small businesses there were grant-type loans. So they didn't have to be repaid. They were like donations type of thing. Right. Now, if you're a small business owner that you know is anxious about the, the livelihood and the future of your restaurant or your business because you just don't know how this thing's going to play out, um, you, know, you can understand, and I'm sympathetic and empathetic to those business owners who don't want to take out debt because ultimately there's a cost to the debt. And if your business doesn't get back to a level of revenue and turnover, you're going to be struggling to pay that debt off. You know, you can't, you're going to be working for the debt man or your banker or your lender um, you know, for the next foreseeable future. So I think from a policy point of view, if they could open and change up the, the structure of the loans to do maybe a percentage of a grant and a percentage as, as debt, I think that would be useful. Another thing, and, and we as the Alternative Small Business Association in South Africa have been lobbying um, as a collective group, a consolidated group of alternative non-bank lenders, is to say to National Treasury and government is that you need to allocate some of that money to the non-bank lenders. Because between, between our group, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of SMEs that are our customers, and we believe that we can get the money into their hands a lot quicker um, then, then through the typical banking process. So we, we are currently having a, a go and putting a case together where we've submitted it to National Treasury to say, even a small allocation, give it to the non-bank lenders because this is what we do every day and we have relationships directly with these small businesses and we will get it into their hands quite quickly. And, and you know, it's all about a matter of time. Okay. Wendy? Um, I think for, for me, you know, if I think back on the 12 weeks, I think, you know, restaurants just want clear guns. 
you know, they can operate within a framework if they know what is the parameters. You know, but when churches open and other sectors open and we can't open and there isn't a proper calculated decision given to us or proper health mitigation that's been explained to us, it builds up a lot of resentment. You know, these restauranteurs are looking after their staff. And at the end of the day, you know, we deemed as irresponsible traders, not by virtue of the fact that we're not operating our businesses properly. Government closed us down. They expected us to transform our businesses into different operations at every turn. And at not one point in time was a relief given to us. You know, if we look at the components in the rest of the world, there were grants given and there was support given to enable those restaurants to continue to survive and trade. I think the, the attitude on this side here is really you need to fend for yourself and only the strongest will survive. And I don't think that's the approach we should be taking in the restaurant industry. You know, we are a critical component of mass employment. We are a critical component to tourism. We are a critical component to Camps Bay Boulevard, to Parkhurst Stretch, to the Menlin Park. You know, we, we're such a component of people's lives. And, and what are these beautiful people going to do for employment if we don't keep the industry alive and keep it afloat? And I think that the, the lack of clear communication in terms of um, of truly understanding what the restaurant industry and business is about has really been part of the decimation mm. that has left restauranteurs feeling so ho hopeless and helpless because they really have been model citizens and model businesses. And they've done everything to look after their staff and look after their businesses. And 12 weeks, I mean, restaurants can barely survive a bad weekend. And now we're surviving mm. a bad season, 12 weeks. You know, how much cash flow is there really left within the industry to be able to allow mm. these businesses to to stay afloat. Okay, I've got a, um, a business owner who's actually in a restaurant owner. Um, I just want to bring him in on um, on the conversation, if you don't mind. Sure. Matt? Yankee, how are you? Can you, boy? Cool. Uh, so I've got Wendy Alberts and Dov Gernon here. Um, you are a restaurant owner. Uh, we've had quite a long conversation uh, about, you know, the current state of affairs, how we, how restaurant owners can potentially innovate and transform their businesses. We've spoken about government and the policies and the impact that that has on uh, on on retailers specifically, and and restaurant owners. And I just wanted to, I wanted to give the, you know, the Mapron Show platform to you to have your say. What has been uh, the impact of this on your business? What would you like to see change? And what help do you need? Um, Matt, thank you for, for uh, the opportunity. And how's it to Dov and Wendy? I actually know both of them. Um, I think the, the most difficult aspect for us is that we're literally, hospitality is literally a people business. We literally take care of people. Um, and first and foremost is our team and our staff that, that we train to make people happy. I think that's what restaurants are about. It's about the experience. And we put people out of business because we're, Basically, a cash business. Restaurants don't. You know, it's not like you make a huge amount of profit you put away every month to to be able to take a three month break. And because we're a cash business, we stop paying most most restaurants. I assume stop paying their staff uh, after March. You know, they paid salaries in March. And um, UIF was an absolute nightmare to to get right, and still ha is not 100. percent I've had a lot of help from Wendy and Ross in terms of. Um, trying to get it resolved and I believe that UIF is obviously under a lot of pressure but there are people who are starving and haven't earned a salary since the beginning of April and uh, and the restaurant the restaurateurs don't have um, access to capital to just pay people for not coming to the work 
with no income coming in, we're not paying uh, our debts, we're not paying our rent, we're not paying our staff, and it is very stressful. We're not paying ourselves. I mean, I also haven't owned for, for now, going into the third month. Um, what would you like to, um, if there was one thing that you'd really like help with, what would that, that be? And then I'd like Dov and, and Wendy just to, to come to the table and maybe weigh in with a comment or a suggestion. What do you need help with right now? What's one thing you need help with? Matt, I would say that the UIF for me is the guts. You know, it's a minimum wage industry. Most of our staff don't earn a lot of money. Um, but if they could get UIF, they could survive this period. There are some that are getting. Um, I think there's been a lot of issues around foreign employees, which is very frustrating because they've been paying you. I've got a, I've got a chef who's been with me for t- 10 years. He's legal. He's got a work permit. He's been paying UIF for 10 years. He hasn't been paid because he doesn't have a Saffron ID number. He's got a he's got a passport number. I know I've been talking to Wendy about it a lot, and I know that Ross are trying to work uh, get it right. But I think the biggest thing for me is that we can stay closed without incurring expenses until level one for the safety of the country. If that is needed, as long as people are earning something so that they can put food on their tables and survive. If your wife is not paying, then it's um, people are just starving. Um, there is, if I can. Um, there is a lot of confusion as to why you would allow 50 people into a church, but you wouldn't allow 50 people into a restaurant. There are restaurants that are bigger than churches. There's better spacing. You're going with people. So I also don't understand the, the logic around it. Okay. Uh, Dov, let's start uh, with you. A comment if you open to it. Yeah, sure. So, so unfortunately, I can't comment much on the UIF because, you know, we haven't had much um, experience there. So I'll, I'll leave that to Wendy. But, but Yankee, it's good to hear from you. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been coming to your shop for many years and I absolutely love the vibe that you've created in your, in your restaurant. And, you know, you, you guys are the epitome of a people's business. You know, the, the kind of warmth and um, the quality of the food and the, the, the happiness that you get from you and all your staff when you come into your shop uh, has, has been the reason that, you know, myself and my family have been coming to you guys forever. So, uh, I hope that you guys do find a way to get through this because um, it would be great to see you again uh, at, the, at the shop. Thanks, Dov. That's much appreciated. Um, Wendy? So, hi, Yankee. It's, uh, you know, we're all family. We've been family for a very long time, and I think that's what restaurants are all about. It's extension of our homes, our families, are beautiful people. And it's been devastating to watch government sit back and not absolutely push and expedite the payments that the people have really paid their due for. You know, it's not that they're doing us a favor. This is money that our staff contributed that they're entitled to own. And, you know, four weeks, we understand that there's been a problem with the system. And you've given us every reasonable explanation as to the software and the IT and the back office and and all the the issues. But 13 weeks into the system, you should have sorted out your problems and those, those payments should be expedited. And the lack of support from government in terms of doing everything and working 48 hours to sort out those issues just leaves me speechless. I just do not, I have no comprehension to actually understand how they've just left it to get so far out of control. And, you know, there's just this this mindset that's left with us, you know, that's government, it's government. So we've certainly put up a task team with Raza. We're pushing, we've got 10 people that work uh, certain hours of night to assist with those payments. A lot of restaurants have made the fatal mistake that they, haven't individually declared it. So they put many people on a declaration as opposed to one by one by one. 
So they are pushing the green button for us and they're getting those restauranteurs paid and they start paid if the, the declarations. But for me, again, if there are 800,000 employees that have all done it with six people on a sheet, why can't you change your back office to support it? Why do we have to make it so difficult? And so obstructed by responsibility and UIF. Because you're absolutely right. You know, if, if business interruption insurance one paid out and they didn't do what they needed to do to be obstructive and they didn't change the policies or cancel it, our restaurants would have been able to get the support of the luxury product they've had and the staff would have been able to get from UIF and it would have taken the pressure off the whole system. But we put pressure on the system and we're also not getting clear communication from anybody. You know, one, we've asked Cocteau, how can you allow churches to open? Just tell us, what is it? What is the framework that you've used? We want to see that in black and white and they can't answer that. And I think as an industry, we're entitled to know what, what that is. How did you assess the risk on churches, office blocks, shopping centers, schools? But you can't tell us what we would be able to do to open our restaurant industry because there's no difference in any of those ones. We feel quite prejudiced at this stage. And it's not fair to expect us as restauranteurs when we have got no more money left in our pockets to still find extra cash and personal and private loans to pay for the staff when they're part of a system that should have been supported. Absolutely. Matt, can I, can I add exactly what uh, Wendy is talking about is the fact that restaurants are based around hygiene. What, what we do is cleanliness and food preparation. We specialize in banks, churches. They don't know anything about that. You've got a church pews that have not been cleaned for. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a, there's an element of that. We understand this aspect of disease and contamination because that's what we do on a daily basis anyway. We should be much, we are, not we should be, we are much more prepared to manage the situation than most other businesses. But we've been told we can't because of, I don't know, too many people gathering in one place and people sharing, I don't know, cigarettes. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, Yankee, what's your restaurant called? Is there a website that we can drive people to? So it's called KTC Le Vion Rose. It's on the uh, Kalani Country Club um, golf course. Um, I actually run the golf course as well as uh, uh, the restaurant. Um, so it's KCC Levion Rose. The website is levionrose.co.za. Okay. Um, but it's now closed. <laughs> mm. You know, we, we try to do the delivery thing, but we're not a delivery based. We're not like a, an Anjicho that specializes in delivery. Our food is, our business is about experience. It's experiential and our food is about the space that you come to. So it's very hard to deliver what we do to someone's home. Um, mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yankee, thank you so much for your time. It's, um, it's a difficult time. Uh, do you sympathize with you? But thank you for sharing your views. I appreciate it. Matt, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for finding me. Much appreciated. Wendy, Dove, nice to hear your voices. Cool. Cheers, Yankee. Good luck. Alrighty. Um, so, uh, cognizant of time, we have completely overshot here, but it's been uh, really, really valuable um, just for me to to hear what's actually going on and more importantly to help kind of spread the message of kind of hope and, and help and, and the severity of all of this. Um, are there any final comments uh, from you, Dov? Any, any words you'd like to share at this point? Any final insights? Anything at all that you feel um, need to be shared to wrap this show up? Yeah, Matt. So, so I want to just kind of reiterate what I spoke about earlier about, um, you know, having the ability as a business owner and entrepreneur to, to look at the opportunities in the chaos 
and to try and you know find ways to pivot and you know just bring in some revenue conserve some cash and you know kind of build a survival strategy that will enable you to be um to survive and and be well poised when this thing turns and really start thinking about what this new world looks like whether you're a restaurant owner or a or a salon owner or a, a hardware store owner um and, and i think really you know what, what we've seen and and we kind of started off um talking about the product in collaboration with uh, raza was this reboot product so so we've now expanded the reboot product and uh, not to initially it was launched to our existing restaurant owners who needed a cash injection um to basically reboot their product for the delivery product so whether that was a a deep cleanse or do some marketing or do their own deliveries through through hiring some box etc and and we've seen unprecedented demand um through that product um and we now are expanding it to you know the other industries that are starting to open up in level 3 so i'm i'm personally inspired and encouraged by you know the conversations that our team are having with our business owners and our restaurant owners to see that the guys are willing to back themselves and put a small amount of money through merchant capital into their business to try and grow and 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 make a go of it and as you to coin your own your your term earlier is to not to just take this thing lying down which i think is inspiring um you know to all of us wendy um what would you like to 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 say at this point so it's when i remind all the restaurants out there that you know that there are beautiful people and the intrinsic of the colorful components of what South Africa is about and there's so much a part of our families our businesses our communities of tourism of all parts and you know we're all in this together and no person is alone through this stage and uh, there, there's no difference where you are whether you're sitting in Camps Bay or you're sitting in Kalilan or you're sitting in 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 Kalani we we're all dealing with the same things and we need to keep talking we need to collaborate we need to reach out to each other and we can fight this together and it's not a time for giving up you know you don't cut the roots of your tree in dark times you allow it to flourish and grow and you know after every crazy storm there's always a beautiful rainbow and i don't know when the storm will be over for us but what i do know is that we are beautiful people beautiful restaurants you've got beautiful staff you've got some of the most amazing restaurants around the world and now's not the time to be giving up and if you can hold on for a little bit longer i know that there will be light and i know it's a matter of days or a couple more days until we'll open for sit down and through sit down we'll get through covid and we'll find solutions every single day that will allow us to trade through this difficult time and you're all beautiful and uh, Raz is here to support you through this time and we'll engage with you and if there's anything we can do for you as an industry body please talk to us and let us keep working to to deal with the challenges that tackle you every single day and uh, I just want to remind you again you're not alone you're not alone in the storm um sorry I've I've got Warren uh, Weavend he's going nuts here he says he really wants to to jump in so I'm going to Sorry, I know I was going to wrap up, but I want to accommodate as many people as I can. Hello. Hey, Warren, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. And you? Good, thank you. So uh, we were just wrapping up, but I, I know you really wanted to ask this question. So you feel there's, there's only one thing that's going to save your business. Um, please mention what your business is, what you think that is, and I'd just like to get Dov and, and Wendy to, to give you some advice, please. All right. So, uh, Warren, obviously I'm in the restaurant industry. Um, I've got a restaurant on a wine estate in the wine in, in uh, Stellenbosch. Um, obviously, if you think about restaurant on a wine estate, the whole idea is for sit down. That's what's going on. We're obviously attempting, you know, um, vouchers, takeaway, delivery collection. 
Um, but I don't think that's sustainable, especially when you're a destination restaurant. Uh, might work for a KFC or your general takeaway, but not for us. So what is the thing that you feel is going to save your business? So, look, obviously, um, right now we're trying every, every avenue. If I could even get to where I'm seating a limited number of people, maybe 50 people at any given time with the correct um, social distancing, I think, uh, you know, no one's going to be looking to be making a lot of money. But at this stage, that would help me survive until things do open up. So it's uh, when. So basically, I suppose the question is, when do you anticipate minimum seating at restaurants? Have you heard anything, Wendy? We put our submission in, and uh, we're hoping to get favourable answers next week. You know, if we haven't got favourable answers next week, then we're going to have to deal with the next level of our um, engagement with government, which we've committed to with our legal team. So I think it's imminent that we'll get there. I do believe that they will give us consideration. We put it forward to Copter. We've done the SOPs. We've put all the elements together to prove the readiness to open and. You know, Warren's absolutely right. Our restaurant's about sit-down. You know, we can't keep transforming our business at, at no relief from government. You know, they've shut us down. They've kept us closed. They've changed our business models. And there are many, many, many beautiful restaurants around the country that sit on tourism belts. And we've got to revive the country. We've got to get back to supporting beautiful restaurants that aren't wine farms. And, you know, they've got all the beautiful outside space. They can do picnics. They can do outdoor seating. Social distancing with the, those restaurants are definitely a very easy part to to show their commitment to slowing down the curve mm. and i think there are very many other restaurants that are sitting in the same space and i'm just going to remind warren again you're not alone in this and uh, we'll keep fighting to get the restaurants open and every step of the way we've got you and we we are supporting you and you can rest on us to keep using our voice to ensure everybody hears what restaurants are about and i think where we've come from 12 weeks ago to where we are now I think finally, government understands what a huge contributor we are to the GDP and what a huge contributor we are to employment. And they've acknowledged it. And these are massive, massive groundwork that we've done in the, in the many years that we've been running uh, restaurants. Awesome stuff. Um, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you, Warren, for your time. Uh, I do appreciate it. Carl, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the effort. Thanks, Matt, for having me. And um, Dov Gurnan, uh, Wendy Alberts, thank you so much. It's been a power show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and most importantly, thank you to all of our audience uh, around South Africa who have been tuning in. Uh, it's been great to have you here as well. So I'll, say, I'll sign off and uh, say once again, thank you to our guests and we will see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Map Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my 
clients, Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.